Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the Scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. The first chapter of Ephesians presents us with one of the highest, most substantial views in the entire Bible, because it presents us with the heavenly view of God's eternal purpose in the universe and our place in it. Chapter 1 ends in a most glorious way as well, with the body of Christ being built up and the church being produced out of the transmission of the ascended Christ from the heavenlies into us, his redeemed. This surely is the view from the top. But chapter 2 gives us the view from the bottom up, from the condition of fallen man. And we will get into this view today as Ron Kangas has joined us for our life study from Ephesians. Welcome back, Ron. Uh, good to be back. And good not to have to wait uh, several weeks right. to return to the fellowship. Initially, when I realized I would need a fellowship uh, in relation to a message on the first three verses of chapter 2 of Ephesians, I wouldn't say I was kind of down, but I thought, there's so many negative things here. <laughs> right. But the view is still marvelous. So I don't regret uh, turning from chapter 1 to chapter 2, where we saw the church from God's point of view, from the divine perspective. Now we come to a chapter that is very definite and explicit and thorough in exposing our fallen condition. Nevertheless, God's salvation in life produces a church with human beings who began in such a miserable state. So I'm encouraged, even heartened by the fact that our consideration of the, the fallenness of humanity and the death and the satanic operation and the world system and the desires of the flesh and of the mind in these verses, our consideration is set is framed in a most positive context that Ephesians 2 doesn't end with verse 3. It ends with a church, God's building, constructed not only with divinity, revealed in chapter 1, but with humanity, and that humanity had a miserable beginning. And let's look at this miserable beginning. We have to consider this portion of the word without bias. Mm-hmm. But as we consider it, let's realize what began so pitifully ends most gloriously. For we who were dead in trespasses and sins in the world, having no hope, uh, under the ruler of the age, Satan, and driven by the aggregate spirit of the age and in the sphere of the flesh, right. its lusts, and apart from God and without Christ and 
aliens and strangers from God's covenanted people, yet we end up as parts of God's building in the mingled spirit. Wow. So that's where we're going. But I would say, Chris, we will appreciate the grace of God much more if we have a forthright look at where we started Mm. and see, especially in the subsequent programs, what the grace of God in life accomplishes in sinful, deadened wretches such as we were. We disappreciate God much more. He's rich in mercy. His grace triumphs. His life conquers death. We are rescued from our lowest state and made part of God's corporate expression. But lest I get too enthusiastic, since I am supposed to help to introduce this segment on verses 1 through 3, let us now look at, or eventually look at, the situation of fallen humankind. But let's look at this situation with the view ahead of us that this is how we began, but this is not how we're going to end. Well, Witness Lee was very fond of painting the picture that for white to really be outstanding, the black in the background has to be very dark. And uh, let's paint that black background properly. I'll read these three verses as we join his fellowship. And you, though dead in your offenses and sins, in which you once walked according to the age of this world, according to the ruler of the authority of the air, of the spirit which is now operating in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also conducted ourselves once in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the thoughts, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Black indeed, Ron. Let's join Witness Lee. But now we come to a miserable situation in chapter 2. Nothing excellent in these three verses. Every point is a misery. Yet, chapter 2 actually is not on these miserable things. Chapter 2 is on the producing and building of the church. From the positive view, the church comes out of the transmission of the ascended Christ. But we know with everything, there are always two sides. This is why chapter 2 has this word, and. We know most people do not compose anything with the word, and, as a beginning. In chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talked a lot of things so excellent. Out of the ascended Christ, the church comes into existence. But this is not all the story. So, in between chapter 1 and chapter 2, there is the little word, and. And you. The church has two sides. One side of Christ Another side of you. How about you? The church is not only out of divinity, but also out of humanity. So, I say again, this word end means quite much. 
Well, Ron, though this chapter um, surely begins with all of these negative things that we touch briefly and we'll talk about a bit more, it's not how it concludes. But I do like the positive application he had near the end of his speaking here, that between chapter 1 and these first verses of chapter 2, we really end up with both of the constituents of the church, don't we, the human and divine. This is the central point. The church is a divine human organism. This thought must govern our consideration of Ephesians. The church is not only human, it's divinely human. The church is not only divine, that is, having God as its element, but is humanly divine. Chapter 1 emphasizes the divine point of view and the divine aspect of the church, that the church has its origin in the transmission and dispensing of the triune God into tripartite human beings. Now in chapter 2, we look forth rightly at the human aspect, because the church, to be the church according to God's eternal purpose, must be a divine human entity, a divine human organism. But the human part, in actual fact, is not at all promising. Mm -hmm. But we have to view chapter 2 in light of God's eternal purpose unveiled in chapter 1. In eternity past, God chose us for sonship. He marked us out for this. We're chosen to be holy to be blameless in his sight. That's God's eternal decree concerning us. But in time, historically, we are these miserable, dead, worldly, Satan-controlled human beings. How will God now get a church that's divine and human when the human part is just indescribably fallen? Well, God has a way. God is a God of grace. God is a God of life. God has a way to nullify the work of the devil. God has a way to forgive sinners. God has a way to enliven those who are spiritually dead. So, with this in view, I know we're not on verses 21 and 22, but they're just in front of me, Chris, as we're talking The Lord will have a church that is a divine human entity, a divine human organism, and he will do that by redeeming, and in this chapter, saving Mm -hmm. fallen, dead human beings and giving them access to himself and making them his dwelling place. So this chapter ends with the saved human part being one with the eternal divine part to be a divine human entity, a divine human organism, the church, the temple of God, the dwelling place of God in spirit. Mm. Ron, we've had on a couple of occasions already in this life study of Ephesians uh, some comparisons between Romans, one of Paul's writings, and this book, Ephesians, uh, we're going to see this comparison brought up again in a little different light in this coming section. You've already made reference to at least the, uh, the main point here. In Romans, Paul builds a very solid and strong case that mankind is fundamentally constituted sin. Uh, 
for all have sinned and come short of the glory. But in this book, Paul makes the case a little differently. In the first verse in this chapter, he points out that our problem goes beyond sin, and you, though dead in your offenses and sins. And that is the perspective of Ephesians, that man is not just sinful. Our problem is we're dead. And we'll see that developed in this coming segment. Do you like this word? Being dead. Not only being sinful, not only being fallen, but being dead. Once in Shanghai, 1947, I was uh, preaching the gospel. One morning I stood up, I said, friends, now we Christian preachers are the most honest people. Always tell people their real situation honestly. And this morning, I must be honest to all of you. I'm going to tell you what you are. You are not only sinners. I said to them, you are dead persons. I'm not going to cheat you. I'm going to tell you where you are. You are in the coffin. Your apartment house is a coffin. And your big mansion is just a big tomb. Why I tell you this? Because Jesus is coming. To raise you up. To make you alive. And raise you up. And get you out of the coffin. That was a good gospel. <laughs> Romans is dealing with sin and sins. But Ephesians is dealing with dead persons. is dealing with deaths. In Romans, you have the salvation of God's righteousness. But in Ephesians, you have the salvation not of righteousness, but of life. Why? Because in uh, Romans, we were sinners. We were sinful persons. But in Ephesians, we are dead persons. Righteousness doesn't do any good for the dead persons. The dead persons only need life. If I'm dead, what I need? I need life. Ron, the gospel that Paul presents in Romans is one where, through the work of God, he is enabled to impart God's righteousness upon sinful man. But the salvation that we get in Ephesians goes beyond just God's righteousness, doesn't it? It does, and this is not easily seen, because, generally speaking, the view of Ephesians 2 is governed by the view presented in Romans in the minds of many preachers and teachers, and therefore believers. Mm -hmm. And also, the view in Romans somewhat is easier for the natural mind to grasp. Why do I say this? Because we will admit that we're imperfect. That's just the beginning. We're sinful. Even we're sin. How can God approve us according to the standard of his righteousness? Only by grace, through faith in Christ, with Christ becoming our righteousness, symbolized by the robe in Luke 15, right. so that we may have peace toward God and be in the presence of God. 
Generally speaking, I say again, Christians pay attention to moral matters, ethical matters, questions of sin, uh, unrighteousness, and the gospel is presented in a way Christ died for our sins, which is profoundly true. This is the rudiment of the gospel. But then that very truth may be applied by us in a way that blinds us to the revelation in chapter 2. It's exceedingly common, Chris, for preachers and teachers of the word to quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 in speaking of what they call the doctrines of grace or what the Bible reveals as justification by grace through faith. Not anything that we do. It's not of works. The problem is, what does saved mean in Ephesians 2? Uh, I wouldn't argue with the claim that it includes the forgiveness of offenses. That's mentioned in chapter 1. That can be subsumed here. But that is not the main point. And if we don't see the main point, we miss the central revelation. Ephesians 2 speaks of our being made alive. This addresses the problem of death and deadness. That the the horrendous problem of fallen humanity as exposed in this chapter is that we were dead in offenses and sins. Mm. Not merely that we had offenses and sins. The wages of those sins is death. And sin came in as a way of death entering in. Right. Death is a more serious problem than sins. Even if sins and offenses are forgiven, how can God have a divine human entity, the church, with people who are dead? He is the living God. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. He has to make us living. And salvation, strictly speaking, in Ephesians 2, is a matter of dead people being resurrected, of dead human spirits being made alive in the resurrected Christ by the resurrecting God. This is what it means to be saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest we boast. This is true according to the context of Ephesians 2. Now, if preachers of the word and teachers of the Bible want to borrow or apply these verses that I just mentioned in connection with justification by grace through faith, I have no objection. I have done it and would do the same thing. However, we should not borrow or apply these verses and be oblivious to the fact of what these verses mean in context. We need to see something more than righteousness for the forgiveness of sins and justification. We need to see the crucial matter of life, resurrection life in Christ, saving us from deadness and from the realm of death. Mm. This is the light that's here. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, perhaps to anticipate, we are alive in Christ. We have been saved from death by being made alive in the resurrected Christ. I hope that our listeners would be open to reread this chapter 
and not allow one portion of the word from Romans to hinder their from seeing the tremendous vision in this portion of the word, and that vision is salvation addresses the problem of death for the sake of God's living, building, his temple, his dwelling place, the church, which I say again with delight, is a divine human entity. And the human part, as well as the divine part, must be alive. Hence, salvation in chapter 2 addresses death and deadness. This is good news. By grace, mm. through faith, we have been saved from death and deadness to be part of God's living dwelling place, the church. Ron, um, a little over a week ago, I was with a pastor. In fact, it was in London. We were there with our uh, London listeners. I had an afternoon uh, with a pastor with a small uh, number of his uh, congregation, and they had just touched a verse in Romans that brings out this same point. Though Romans does emphasize the sin matter, where Ephesians is emphasizing the life matter, but both matters are in really in both books. It's just in, in emphasis as Paul is uh, developing uh, the vision and view. But Romans 5.10 combines them also. For we, being enemies, were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, certainly dealing with sin. Much more we will be saved in his life, having been reconciled. And this dear pastor was elated as this this verse had come alive to him, and he had been reading uh, uh, some of our writings and was just almost without words as to how delighted he was to to see this aspect. I'm glad to hear this. He is being blessed, and the people that he serves through the word, will also be blessed. All of God's children would be blessed to see the life side of God's salvation. Even in Romans, and I would say in particular in Romans, once we have the righteousness of God, Christ, applied to us by grace, through faith, which is a gift from God, I'm borrowing the verse yes. from Ephesians. <laughs> we go on to see much more we shall be saved in his life. So Romans and Ephesians will bring us to the same point, to the organic body of Christ, a divine human right. entity, a divine human organism. Ephesians 1 speaks of the forgiveness of offenses. Ephesians 2 emphasizes the life side of God's complete salvation. And sinners, as we preach the gospel to them, need to be told not only that they are sinners who need Christ as their righteousness, they need to be told also, in faithfulness, that they're dead, they're in a tomb. The dead need Christ as their resurrection life. Then, as you pointed out in Romans 5.10, we have both the judicial matter of righteousness dealing with sins and the organic matter of life for our complete salvation. And the goal of both justification involving righteousness and regeneration slash resurrection involving the divine life, the goal is the same. This marvelous divine human entity, the church, 
the stupendous divine human organism, the church, the body of Christ, the house of the living God. This is where we're going, to be more exact. This is what we're becoming. Now, if you'll let me, I'll just do your job a little bit and encourage our listeners to stay with us program after program, even with this segment on chapter 2, to see where we end up. We who were dead in trespasses and sins, what are we becoming in Christ, God's house, his temple? How glorious. Oh, thanks, Ron. Always good to have you here. You're welcome. And it's always good to have you here, and it's particularly good to hear from you. And we hope that you'll take the chance to call us. We would love to have your fellowship. We'd love to get this printed material into your hands and just to establish fellowship with you. Our toll-free number, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. And please join us again tomorrow as we continue this life study from Ephesians. For Ron Kangas today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee. For 21 years, Witness Lee conducted a comprehensive life study, unveiling how the Bible presents Christ coming to be life to man. These audio programs are based on those messages. But to get the full riches of the life study, we hope you'll visit our website, lifestudy.com. From there, you can read over 1,800 life study messages in their entirety, or download more audio programs like this one, all free of charge. Again, the website is lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening today.